Acts chapter number 17. If you found it and you're able to, let's stand together. I'm on page 1556 of our Rock of Ages study Bible. And uh, Acts chapter number 17. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 22. Read down through verse number 28. The Bible says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world, that's a lot in that statement right there, and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things." And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. That's a wonderful statement. For in him we live and move. And have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. I'm going to preach for a little while this morning on the subject matter on finding fulfillment in worship. Finding fulfillment in worship as we look here in the scriptures. Let's pray and you can be seated. Father, thank you again for the word of God. Lord, thank you even for the song that was just sung. Lord, that we seek you, Lord, because you are all that we need. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, ingrain that upon our hearts and our lives this morning. May you be honored and glorified. Do a work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, may we truly take another step forward in our worship for Almighty God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As we look around in this world, there's no doubt that there is a desire for fulfillment when it comes to the emptiness that people experience in their mode of worship. Worship in a biblical sense has been defined as this, to adore, I've got some definitions written down, to adore, to pay divine honors to, to reverence with supreme respect and veneration to respect, to honor, to treat with reverence. Noah Webster's defined it as the state of worth or worthiness in the biblical sense as we think about worship. In our Bible, the word worship in some form is actually used no less than 188 times. The first time we see it in the scripture is back around Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham is preparing to go up on Mount Moriah and he says to the men that are there, he said, you stay here and the lad and I will go and worship and return again. 
first time we actually see the word worship that's there. Sometimes it's used in relation to false gods. Sometimes it's used as a verb to be able to show action in what they were doing. And then at other times as a noun to be able to describe the process by which we come before the Lord to show our adoration and His worth in our lives. Nevertheless, as we look at the subject matter of finding fulfillment in worship, I'd like to look at a few things in the Scripture as to what worship is, and also, can I say this, what it's not. Because there's a lot of things across our nation today, and many places will will call this service that we're in right now that this is our worship service, and that's what they'll call it. But then I've been in some of those services and I've walked away and said, well, the name of Jesus wasn't even mentioned one time. It seemed like it was a, a lot about them and their feelings and their emotions as far as the individuals that were there, but yet I didn't walk away with a greater uh, understanding and knowing of who the God of heaven is. And so therefore, the worship may not have been about God. But I do know this, that even back here, beginning in Acts chapter number 17, I want to look at a few things. First of all, I want to start with on this subject matter, the inner desire to worship the inner desire to worship. You know, I, I believe, and we're, we're seeing it across our nation today, that I believe that there is a desire in people's lives to worship God Almighty. Now, they may not know that's who they're worshiping, but I believe we see it as people fulfill their religious duties. I believe as they walk into churches, I believe as they sing their songs and they they do what they know to be the best they can, I believe there's a desire, an inner desire to worship. We see this here in Acts chapter 17 as Paul is spending some time in the city of Athens. Now, as he is there, he's actually been left there by himself. He's walking around the city. He's taken in the sights. And the Bible says that that he's beholding the things that are around the city. This city here, if you go back and study it, some have estimated well over 30,000 gods that were represented in the city of Athens. And of course, you can go back and look at the, the famous 12 gods of the pantheon, the Greek gods, that are represented as part of all of this that's there. We see it in other places around the world when we had Brother G.S. Nair here, who is a missionary national pastor over in India. He made mention of over a million gods that they have represented throughout the country of India that's over there. And if you were to walk up to someone and say, can you name all the gods that you're worshiping? Can you imagine having to remember over a million of them to make sure that you're not forgetting one? That's the situation spiritually that the Apostle Paul is walking around in the city of Athens, and everywhere he goes, he's seeing that there's these altars that are set up, there's these shrines that are set up, these things that are established across the nation, and and God after God after God is being represented there. 
Now listen, the Apostle Paul did say in verse number 23, he said, for I passed by and beheld your devotions. In other words, there is a commitment that is there. There is something from the inside working its way out that there was that desire for, from, the, from the inside to be able to worship. And, and why is that? There is a desire for man to worship and show adoration to someone or something that is greater than ourselves. Around this world, listen, there's some places, and I, I try not to get into a place and actually make fun of their gods. They're, they're, they are sincerely worshiping what they believe to be right. But there's places that'll worship a tree. There's places, I know you get over around India and you dare not touch a cow over there. Um, you dare not touch some of these animals that may be their ancestors and they're, they're worshiping these animals and these trees and the sun and the moon god and the rain god and the, the god of thunder, the god of lightning, on and on as you go through. There's that desire. Someone inside has that desire to worship something or someone to be able to pay their devotion to. It was even in the city of Athens that we have recorded here what Paul said as he's walking around and he's beholding these altars that are there, beholding all their worship towards their gods. He said, I even saw an altar and it was named this with this inscription, verse 23, this inscription to the unknown God. You say, where did that come from? Well, history had it, if you go back and study the city of Athens, that approximately maybe 6,600 years before this, that there was a, a plague that had gone through that area. And they did their best to be able to pray to every one of their gods to be able to stop that plague and to be able to deliver those people. And it never did stop till finally one day it stopped. And they said, well, none of our gods stopped it so there must be an unknown God that we know nothing about. So let's go ahead and set up an altar to the unknown God, the one that perhaps worked this miracle over 600 years. So they at first set up an altar to it. Aren't you thankful for the graciousness of the Apostle Paul in places? Now listen, there were times he could be very sharp very straightforward. I made mention of it this past week. I don't believe the Apostle Paul would be one of those men that if I get on his bad side, I don't think I'd enjoy a, a come to Jesus talk from the Apostle Paul. I believe he was focused. I believe he knew his Bible. You're not going to argue with him about it. And I uh, had no time for foolishness. And I believe he was straightforward. But here he's dealing with a religious society. And he sees this and he capitalizes on that opportunity that you have the multitudes of people that are around. And he says, I, I beheld your devotion. I saw this inscription to the unknown God. And he said at the end of verse number 23, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Can I say he didn't doubt that they were worshiping? He didn't doubt that there was a desire in their hearts to be able to worship or to show devotion. But yet what he was showing them is you have worship, you have devotion, it's just misplaced. 
and you're ignorantly worshiping this altar to the unknown God, and I want to tell you about him. Boy, his graciousness to be able to take what was right there in front of him and say, let me use your own culture. Let me use your own habits. Let me use your own devotion and be able to show you that it's all about him. Jesus said the same thing, basically the same principle over in John chapter number four. Let me read this to you as as Jesus was speaking with the woman at the well. Hold your place in Acts 17. We're coming right back to it. But in John chapter number four, as Jesus was speaking with this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the father. And he said in verse 22, ye worship, ye know not what. See, Jesus wasn't doubting her devotion. Jesus wasn't doubting her desire and her ability to be able to worship, but he was saying, you're worshiping what you don't know. And the same thing that Paul's saying, you're ignorantly worshiping this unknown God. And he says, no, we know what we worship for the salvation is of the Jews in John chapter 4. And so the inner desire of man to worship mankind, there's something inside of us. We all, listen, we believe, and you say, well, I don't believe there is a God. And, and, And I'm not worshiping a higher power, and I'm not worshiping some supreme being. Can I say this? You still worship. May not just be the, the almighty God, it might just be yourself, that you hold higher than anything else that's around as far as just worshiping yourself. But then here's what Paul does in this passage of Scripture. After he sees that there's an inner desire to worship, he begins in verse number 24 to identify the true God. Of these, and I don't know if there were actually 30,000 altars that were set up, but yet he saw the multitude of, all, of altars. He knew the multitudes of gods that were being prayed to and things that were there. He said, I want to identify the true God to you. So he starts in verse number 24, and here's how he identifies him. First of all, he says, God that made the world and all things therein. May I remind us and seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. He identified him by first of all saying he is supreme above everything. You want to know the God that you desire and ought to be worshiping is the God that is supreme above everything. Why would we settle to worship some little God when according to the word of God, we can see that there is a God that created everything, the world and all things therein, and that he is Lord of heaven and earth. Why start down bottom? Listen, it's amazing. We do it every day. If you're making a phone call and you're disgruntled about something, you want to talk to someone in charge, don't you? I want to talk to your manager. There's always someone higher you can go to. Why would it be that in our worship on a regular basis, why would I bow down and start worshiping this coffee cup? 
Why would I start worshiping a tree or worshiping the sun when the Bible describes that I can go directly to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God Almighty, the supreme authority, and worship directly the one that created all of it? Why would I go with anything less when we have access? Nothing less than the best. God that made heaven, that made the world and all things therein. I want to remind you that he is supreme above everything. But then verse number 25 reminds us that he's self-sufficient. The Bible says, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needeth anything. You see it as as cultures around this world as believing that the gods that they worship, they bring food to him. Aren't you glad you don't have to feed your God? He's pretty well self-sustaining. Aren't you glad you don't have, God doesn't need your money. Bible tells us that the God of heaven owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You say, well, pastor, you just destroyed the offering for today. Can I say this? God takes care of things. We're going to see it this afternoon. When it comes to it, Given to God is, is just an act of worship anyway. And really, the results of that and what we do is really, uh, it's another part of how much we value God. What's he worth to us when we come back to it? That's not something I can put in your heart. Nobody else can put in your heart. That's what comes from the Lord. He's self-sufficient. May I remind us that God doesn't need me and God doesn't need you. The God of this Bible has been around for eternity past, eternity future. Listen, he was around a lot longer before Peter Chamberlain was. I am not God's gift to humanity. God doesn't need me. He said my job could be replaced by a rock. I'm supposed to be proclaiming the glory of Almighty God. And he said, listen, he told the disciples, he said, if you hold your peace, he said, I could cause that these rocks cry out. That was humbling for me one day when my job could be done by a rock. And God said, and they'd they'd probably obey too. They'd probably do better than what I do on a regular basis. He's self-sufficient. He's been from eternity past, and he'll be through eternity future. He doesn't need anything from us, but then also he's the supplier of life. You know, there's religions around this world, I believe so much, that they're trying to give their gods life, and I'm saying you just come back to the Bible and realize that the God of this Bible actually gives us life. It's the way it ought to be, starting at the end of verse number 25, though he needeth, as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Do you understand everything about mankind and humanity is in the hands of God? He's the giver of life. He's the taker of life. He has put breath in our body. How many stayed awake all last night worried about whether you're going to breathe or not? Hey, they, they even give us um, sleep CPAP machines. that They'll actually pump oxygen into you all night long. Hey, listen, I didn't stay awake saying, I wonder if my heart's going to beat all night long. By the time my head hit the pillow last night, 
I wasn't thinking about staying awake. I didn't say, I wonder if my lungs are going to work all night long to be able to stay alive. No. You say, well, now, Pastor, you just gave me something else to worry about. <laughs> I, better be, I better stay awake tonight. My heart beating, my heart beating. No, can I say this? Life and breath is in the hand of the Lord. As though he needs anything from us. As though he's not self-sufficient. As though he's not the supplier of life. Listen, and what Paul is explaining to them is every other God that you have set up around here, you're doing your best to be able to give that God life when in reality, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty, Jehovah, has given you life. And may I remind us at any moment, what if he just took our breath away? keep everything else, but if God said, okay, no breath, no air, I believe that would make everybody a pray, prayer warrior at that time. God, give me my breath. I'm so thankful when we see the identity of the true God, supreme above everything, self-sufficient, supplier of life. That's the God that we serve. And what Paul is doing in Athens here is, listen, you see all of these. Let me tell you, the unknown God, what he's trying to do is make known the unknown God. He's trying to say, this is the God that made everything. This is the God that you ought to be praying toward. It's not a God that can't do anything for you. It's the God that's doing everything for you. Then I want you to see as we keep reading down through here that there's an invitation to worship this God. You see, he says in verse number 27, beginning there, that they should seek the Lord. Do you understand it is the desire? He has just said in verse number 26 that he hath made of one blood all nations. Can I remind us this morning, not getting off on a tangent or a rabbit trail, but listen, one blood of all nations. We are all one people around this world. Can I remind us that there's only one race of people? There's many different people groups around the world, speak a different language, have a different culture, live in a different country. But the Bible says, listen, we're all one blood. We're all one race. And there is an invitation from the Lord and a desire from God that his creation, and that's what each and every one of us are, his creation, he desires that we are seeking him. When we understand that the God, that there is a God that created everything, that desire is in us to know more about him, to know who he is. And I'm thankful that it's a God that is personal and desires a relationship with us. Look at this, verse number 29. The Bible says, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead, listen to this, is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. Who's the God that we serve? Can I remind us of this? It's not some idol or figure that's set up there that's made out of gold or silver or stone that some man said, okay, I'm going to design this. 
That's not the God that's being spoken of here. Now, those are some gods that people serve and those are some gods that people worship and they pray to. But he says here that the Godhead, the God that's being spoken of here in Acts chapter 17 is not one that's gold and silver and stone. That's not the God that's being spoken of here. There's, he's personal. He desires a relationship with us. There's an invite to come. And can I remind us of this in verse number 30? And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. Listen, that's what had been taking place for years. God winked at it. But now the message has come forth. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Can I remind us of this, that repentance brings relationship? Repentance brings relationship. And the reality of God is being proclaimed here by Paul in Athens in Acts chapter number 17. And God is being proclaimed, the true, the living God. And once we understand and we see from the scriptures who God is, that demands action on our part. The responsibility, now that you see in the Scripture, you say, well, Pastor, I don't believe that. Just because we don't believe it does not mean that it's not true. I can argue with you all day that the suit that I'm wearing is fluorescent orange. How many are thankful that it is not? (laughs) But I could say all day long, Betty, This is an orange suit. And you would say, no, it's not. Well, I don't believe that. Just because I don't believe it's not orange doesn't mean it's not true. And you may say, well, that's not a blue suit. That's a green suit. Just because you don't believe it's true doesn't mean it's not true. And our repentance toward the Lord. Do you understand what repentance is? Can I, can I summarize it easily this way? I believe the most basic definition is, yes, a, a change in the heart that brings about a change of action. The repentance that is being spoken of here, repentance and faith toward God, there is one sin that will eternally separate someone from Almighty God, and that is unbelief in God. It is the unbelief that the Lord Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Well, I don't believe that to be true. The sin of unbelief will hinder someone for eternity. The sin of unbelief. And what the Lord is saying here, that God is now commanding all men everywhere to repent. Do you understand? The message was given first. This is who God is. This is who you've been trying to worship, but you're ignorantly worshiping him. Let me tell you about him. Now that I've told you about him, you need to repent and turn to God for there to be true worship in your heart to almighty God. Worship in relationship shows what we think he's worth. You think about what God has done for you, what God has done for me. You say, well, what has God done for me? Well, if you are here today and you are a child of God, that means that there is a point in your life when you acknowledged and believed what Jesus did, that he, we had a sin problem, Jesus was the answer. 
He died for us, paid my penalty, died for me, was buried, rose again, and I'm fully trusting him for salvation. No works. I'm not trusting. Listen, I was baptized after salvation. That baptism didn't save me. I'm not going to heaven and showing Jesus my baptismal certificate to be able to get me in the gate. But it is that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And I turn from unbelief to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that repentance brings relationship. Can I say this? Then when I have the true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it is then and only then can I truly worship God? Now, there, there's several across our nation and maybe even here this morning that you're doing your human best to be able to worship the Lord. But you don't have that relationship from whence comes the heart to be able to worship. You say, well, pastor, I thought worship was just raising your hands in the air. What about the person who doesn't have hands? Well, I got to lift my, my, my arms to heaven. What about the person who doesn't have arms? Can they not worship? Worship comes from the inside and is an outward action towards the Lord and showing him what he's worth to us. If we've never trusted Christ as our Savior and he's never saved our soul for all of eternity, listen, you don't know the value of God to be able to worship him. So I ask this, what is God worth to you today? Yes, there's that desire in your heart to be able to worship him. It's revealed in your worship. You say, well, pastor, I'm a child of God. Well, what's he worth to you? What's he worth to you is going to be revealed. It's going to be revealed in our worship. Can I say this? Our time, our sacrifice, our giving, I've made mention of it. Listen, all of that is just a reflection of our worship to the Lord. It's a reflection on what is God worth to me. Do you know who you worship? Do you know who you desire to worship? Can I say this? If you don't, then you can know him today. May I say a relationship is a whole lot better when you know who you're in a relationship with? Some want to have the relationship with God, but they don't know God. They know about God, they, they, they believe that there's a God, but to make worship personal, we must know who we're worshiping, and that's in our relationship with Almighty God. And I'm praying that those of us that do know Him, well, I'm praying that God would take our worship to Him to another whole level of saying, God, you're worth it to me. When God asks something of my life, of time or investment or energy, whatever it may be, how dare I look at the Lord and say, Lord, you're not worth it. I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but I wonder how many have been asked to do something by someone else. Or, and in your heart, you might, you might not say it out, out loud, but you said, they're not worth it. You mean all this extra? They're not worth it. 
May I say that you'll never come to that point and it'll never be true about Almighty God because He's worthy of all of our worship, of all of our praise, but I don't want us to ignorantly worship Him. Get to know Him. If you don't know Him today, it'd be a wonderful day to trust Christ as your personal Savior. If you do know Him, What's he worth to you? And maybe we could just show him in our heart, in our lives, Lord, you're worth it to me.